Thank you for downloading this sermon brought to you by the preaching ministry of Liberty Baptist Church of Las Vegas, Nevada, Dr. David Tice. For more sermons in both audio and video format, we encourage you to visit experienceliberty.com. Also, for a word of encouragement, insight, and biblical inspiration, follow Pastor David Tice's blog at davidtice.com. So without further ado, let's open our hearts to the Word of God. And thank you, gentlemen, for ministering to us in music. If you have your Bible, open them up to the book of Psalm. And we're going to be in Psalms chapter 20 this morning. Man, that was, that was an encouragement to me. I love that song. I know my God is big enough. Psalm chapter 20 is where we're going to be today in our continuing study called the Songs of Summer. When we look at the book of Psalms, the largest of the books of the Bible, it's truly a collection of songs that God's people have sung, were written, and have been sung for thousands of years. And so when we read the Psalms, or the songbook, it's a songbook that's compiled, and each one of those psalms or songs has a different study or a different purpose that God is allowing us to see and go through and navigate as we look at the scriptures together. So this morning we're going to be in Psalm chapter 20, and verse number 1 all the way through 9 is going to be the source of our study today, Psalm chapter 20. And you could almost say this way when you get through this, the the psalm, you, let's put it on the calendar. Let's put this on the calendar. One thing I love about summer is that the schedule is just a little bit more light. Now, it's always busy. If you live a busy life, say yes. Yeah, man, I know that. I know that feeling. And the fact that you're in church today is a testament to your desire to serve the Lord and know God's work in your life. But we live busy lives, even with all the conveniences and all of the uh, technology. We live very busy lives. One thing I love about summer is that it's just a little bit lighter in some areas. I was thinking about last fall, and we were preparing for this next fall. And as I was thinking about all the things that happen in fall, well, you have school that starts. And we have three kids in school, and we have one who's in college, and the college bills are coming, and the phone call saying we need more money are coming from the daughter who's in college. So school starts in the fall, and then, then our son plays baseball, and he played Little League Baseball last year, and there's two days a week where you've got games, and then you have different practices, and then our girls played volleyball, and putting those calendars together, and then you have special events going on at the church. Each year we do a harvest fair here, and we'll have a pumpkin patch, and we'll do a number of different activities, and so then you have, you have the pumpkin patch day, and you've got activities going on, and then you have Christmas, and you don't want to miss Christmas. That's our Christmas PJ picture. I thought people would say awe or something to that because it's just, and so you want to make sure that you, you got your, your matching PJs all in line. You got to make sure all these different activities, and I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel like my calendar is like this, right? Like, we're going to do this, and we're going to do this, and we're going to do this, and we're going to go here, and we've got to go this, and where's this child? Have you ever, don't raise your hand because you'll indict yourself, and church people will think poorly of you, but have you ever lost a kid someplace or left a kid someplace? I was here one day, and a guy said, we left our son. I said, where? They had the carrier, and they put the carrier down in the garage. They pulled the car out of the garage and drove to church, and their son was in the carrier. Oh, my goodness. Now, don't hate on them. They're just trying their best. Got a busy calendar. There have been more than one occasion where a kid, five, six, seven years old, has been brought into my office, 
and they'll say, I don't know where my mom or dad is, <laughs> and their mom or dad left them at church. Unintentionally, they unintentionally left their kid at church just because there's a busy calendar. It's one thing to have a time of busyness in your life where you're going through this, this time and it's busy here and I've got this work and I've got this project coming up. We've got to get the kids to this place or we've got this obligation that's going on in our life. But it's a second thing when you're going through a time of trouble. And when we get to Psalm chapter 20, there is a confidence that comes through Psalm chapter 20 in a time of trouble. The time of trouble is in relationship to a guy named David. Now, I don't know of a person outside of the Lord Jesus Christ and perhaps Moses who has more of a profound impact in all of human history than this guy right here. David lived about 3,000 years ago. And if you were to travel to Israel today, you would still see many things in reference to David. You could fly there, or I'm told that very soon you'll be able to take a train from the, across the Pacific Ocean to India, and you might be... A, that might be coming soon. I wouldn't hold your breath for it. I'm just saying it's an opportunity. It might be coming in the future. But for now, if you were to take a plane and go over to Israel, you would see almost immediately, you would see the flags of, the Israels, uh, of Israel flying everywhere. And these are the colors of the flag of Israel. And in the middle is a star. And the star is the star of, do you know? It's the star of David. 3,000 years ago, this man walked the face of this earth, and yet today, whenever the soldiers of Israel stand and stand at attention, they are flying under the banner of the Star of David. Whenever they go into the United Nations, whenever they go into war, whenever they go into peace negotiations, it is this banner, the Star of David, that flies in reference to this amazing historical figure about 3,000 years ago. But when we are reading Psalm chapter 20, he's in a very difficult place. David has been the king of Israel for a number of different years, and he's built alliances. He has friends, he has treaties and negotiations with several of the other kings who were in uh, relationship or proximity to him. In this passage, in Psalm chapter 20, he's about to go to battle, and it's a battle he never thought he was going to have to fight. One of the neighboring kings had passed away, and he had a good relationship with this neighboring king. They were trade partners. They had enjoyed meals together, no doubt. They were, they were allies. And when his friend, the king, passes away, he decides to send a gift of condolences, maybe a care basket or a fruit basket, or he sends 10 ambassadors to go over to the prince and say, I'm sorry that your dad has passed away. And ten of his faithful men, ten of his most trusted ambassadors, they take presents of grief to share with this young prince whose dad has just passed away. When the prince sees these ten Israelite ambassadors come in, he doesn't receive them warmly. In fact, he humiliates them. The Bible tells us that he, he makes them walk naked. And the Bible tells us that he takes their beards and he cuts their beards in half as a way to demonstrate their lack of masculinity and to humiliate them in front of David and in front of Israel and in front of the entire nation. The men come back and they are humbled by their service to the king and the actions that that foreign dignitary had done to them. 
And not only do they hear that, but there is rumblings that that arrogant king is now going to mount an offensive against David. He allies himself with the Syrians, and he allies himself. He hires some mercenaries, and there are tens of thousands of troops that are descending upon Israel. If you read 2 Samuel chapter number 10, many theologians believe that this chapter is written in reference to that passage. And in 2 Samuel chapter 10, the Bible tells us that David sends his mighty general Joab to go fight against these wicked kings who would try to overtake David. And the war is so intense, David is fighting, excuse me, Joab is fighting an offensive in the front, and then circling around the back of him comes the other armies, it's the mercenaries, and he finds himself surrounded, and Joab gives a very courageous plea. He says, let us play the men. And he divides the soldiers, and they're fighting on both flanks, and they are literally surrounded. And on this battle, David says, I'm not going to let Joab fight out there by himself. I'm going into battle. And all of the remaining troops and all of the congregation meet David in Jerusalem. And can you picture the scene as moms are bringing their young sons who are going to war and saying, okay, Can you see the wives and perhaps the little babies as they're waving to dad who's dressed in his military apparel? And there's a huge congregation outside of the palace awaiting David to descend the stairs, mount his horse, and lead God's army into battle. Can you see that in your mind? And as that scene is about to unfold, that is the context for this song, Psalm chapter 20. The people who are singing this are singing this to David. Can you see David? Perhaps he puts on his crown and his royal apparel. He's about to face a heathen invasion, a ruthless enemy, and the Israelite army and congregation gather for battle, and it's at this place. Can you see David making a silent prayer? (sighs) Okay, Lord, give me strength. And can you see David stand out there and the place erupts? Our champion, our man, that's David. And they begin to sing this song. Psalm chapter 20. The Lord hear thee in the day of trouble. The name of the God of Jacob defend thee. Send thee help from the sanctuary and strengthen thee out of Zion. Remember all thy offering except thy burnt sacrifice, Selah. Grant thee according to thine own heart and fulfill thy counsel. We will rejoice in thy salvation. In the name of our God, we will set up our banners. The Lord fulfill all thy petitions. Now know I that the Lord saveth his anointed. He will hear from his holy heaven and the saving strength of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. They are brought down and fallen, but we are risen and stand upright. Save, Lord. Let the king hear us when we call. Father, in these next few moments, I pray that you'd help me to accurately articulate what this scripture says may be an encouragement to your people as it was on the day that it was saying when David went to battle. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We see point number one. You can follow along in your notes. Today I want you to see verses 1 through 5, the public accolades that are shared in verses 1 through 5 of Psalm chapter 20. 
we see that as David is going to battle, this is not something that is a sure bet. This is not something that is no big deal. There is a general who is lying in wait and might even die. A very close friend, a cousin of David, is out there in the middle of battle. He's surrounded. There are tens of thousands of soldiers about ready to defeat mighty General Joab, and their sights are then set on Jerusalem. Rather than allowing that to go on, David walks out. And as David walks out upon the precipice, down the steps to where his horse is, in my imagination is how I picture it, the Bible tells us that these are the words that he hears. Verse number one, the Lord hear thee in the day of trouble. It's a bad day. This is a bad day. You ever gone through a bad day? Did any of you have a bad day this past week? I joked about having a bad time in a mud pit, and that was fun, and it's, it's okay that my back's a little bit sore, but some of you had bad days this week. Maybe you have a bad few months, get news, and you're like, oh man, that changes everything. It's a day of trouble for David, and in this day of trouble, notice how the people respond. The Lord And that's fascinating because the Lord is in all caps. For the English reader, it's in all caps, but if you were to read this in Hebrew, it was the specific name of God. It wasn't talking about just a master or an anonymous deity. It's speaking specifically about the name of God. In this context, it's Jehovah. We understand today that the name of God is Jesus Christ. And so here, they cry out, The Lord help thee in the day of trial. Can you see David as he walks down those steps and the congregation begins to sing, The Lord help thee in the day of trial. And the Bible tells us this in verse number one, And the name of the God of Jacob defend thee. Now this is what's beautiful, is we begin to see the presence of God present here. God is not a God who doesn't care. God's not a God who just wound up a clock, sat back and said, I'll see you in a couple thousand years. God is a God who is present. He is available. He cares. He's intimately involved. In the New Testament, the Bible talks about his care for his creation, that he knows when a sparrow falls. He even knows what a lily looks like as it grows up from the ground. And he says, how much better are you? Do you know that God cares about your life and he is present in everything that you are doing? And here, the presence of God becomes not a harbinger of uh, fear. It becomes a place of comfort. The Lord will hear you in the time of trouble and the name of the Lord. Now, this is beautiful because people who follow Jesus Christ get the wonderful consolation of knowing the name of God. In the name of Jesus, there is power. In the name of Jesus, there is his presence. Oh, the name of Jesus is a powerful name. Never let that be stolen from you. Never let it be robbed from you. Let the name of Jesus be worn on you as an ambassador of Jesus Christ. We walk in his name, and the name of Jesus is mighty. Notice what the Bible says about the name of Jesus in Acts chapter 4 and verse number 12. Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. It is the name of Jesus that saves people from their sin. 
That's powerful. It is the name of Jesus that saves people from their sin. Jesus, the one who came to this earth and died on a cross, not because he had to, not because he had done anything wrong. Jesus died on a cross because you have sinned and I have sinned. And because my sin has separated me from God, I'll never be good enough to get to heaven. I can't work my way to heaven. I can't be baptized to go to heaven. I can't give money to a church in order to go to heaven. I can't abstain from vices. Well, I'll give up alcohol, and I'll give up curse words, and I'll give up whatever uh, perceived vice. I'll give up these things, and so maybe that will gain my favor with God. There is nothing I can do in order to get to heaven. I will start recycling. I will give to the Boy Scouts. I will help old ladies cross the street. Come on, old lady, let's cross the street. You will cross the street. Why? So I can go to heaven. You can't do anything to get to heaven. So the Bible tells us because of our sin, we're separated from a holy God. The wages of our sin is death, and all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so because we have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, we deserve not to go to heaven, but we deserve to die and go to hell. And our sin is so great that no good work could, uh, could cover that great canyon of sin that we have created except God's love Jesus became a man he died on a cross to pay for your sins and to pay for my sins he was buried and three days later he rose again from the dead proving that he is God and everything he said is true and he offers salvation free of charge to anyone who will put their faith and trust in him You don't have to be Baptist. You don't have to be baptized. You don't have to give up a whole lot of things. All you have to do is recognize, I'm a sinner, but Jesus paid for my sin, and I receive that great gift. The Bible tells us there's no other way to get to heaven. The Bible says, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby what? We must be saved. The way to be saved, those fellas sing about, I got saved. What does it mean to get saved? It means I came to Jesus and I recognized I can't do it on my own. In fact, I'm going to hell because of my own, but I need you to save me. And Jesus says, you need a savior, I'm your savior. And anyone that comes to Jesus, I will in no wise cast out, Jesus said. What a beautiful truth. The name of Jesus brings his presence. The name of Jesus, notice what the Bible says about the name of Jesus. And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name. I can go to God and I can ask for anything. Have you ever asked God for something big? Say yes. Have you ever asked God for something small? Say yes. How many of you even cheated and asked for a better parking spot? (laughs) You know, Lord, if I could get a parking spot... Thank you, Lord. (laughs) And I don't mean to be trivial or light about this. I'm just showing, look what the Bible says. And whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. There is something beautiful about praying in Jesus' name. Why do we pray in Jesus' name? Because if we pray in Matt's name, it goes nowhere. In Matthew's name, we pray, amen. That'll get you nothing, unless you're asking for Luke for something. If you ask Luke for something, your father said, oh, yeah, whatever Matthew says, that's what we get, or else I get beat. 
That's whatever. But outside of that, it goes very, it goes not very far. But when you ask in Jesus' name, the God of the universe gives attention. Isn't that beautiful? Notice this scripture. Luke 10, 17 says, and the 70 returned again with joy saying, Lord, even the devils are subject to us through thy name. Do you ever get spooked out by things? Ooh, the demons, the witchcraft, the sorcery, the evil of our world. Oh, there's so much evil. There's so much evil. I just don't know that our world can be saved. There's so much evil. Hey, even the devils bow to the name of Jesus. If you've got Jesus, you need nothing else. If you've got Jesus, the devils, oh, yeah, okay, we're out. We're out. Why? Because Jesus is present. The devils are subject unto the name of Jesus. Look at how awesome the name of Jesus is. For unto us a child is born. This is talking about Jesus. Unto us a son is given. Notice that the son wasn't born. The son was given. The son was preexistent because Jesus has been around since the foundations of the earth. He's, in fact, he's the one that created the world. He's the one who in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And all things were created by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. For in him is life, and his life is the light of the world. And we beheld his glory, the glories of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus Christ is God. And so Jesus was born as a baby, and this baby, the Bible says, the government would be upon his shoulders. Notice about his name. It would be called Wonderful. If you believe Jesus is wonderful, say yes. Oh, his name shall be called Wonderful. He'll be called the Counselor. A counselor is someone who advises. A counselor is someone who comforts. He's a counselor. Do this, don't do that. He comforts. He's the mighty, uh, the mighty God. Jesus is not the weak God. Oh, there's a whole lot of weak gods. Maui needs to steal a boat from Moana. <laughs> he, hey, you're welcome. He's so weak. He's a weak God. Hercules, he's a weak God. Zeus is a weak God but my Jesus is a mighty God. He's the everlasting Father. Jesus and the Father are one. He said in John chapter 14, verse number 8, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. How sayest thou then? Show us the Father. Are you saying that Jesus and God are the same? Yes. Are you saying that the Father and the Son are the same? Yes. Are they separate? Yes. How's that all work? I don't know. But someday I'm going to ask the mighty counselor, the everlasting father, and he's the prince of peace. David's about to go into battle. And when he's going into battle, notice they don't sing praises like, you can shoot a slingshot. Yes, you can. You can shoot a slingshot because you're the man. They're not doing that. I just made that up right now, Josh. <laughs> Pretty good, right? I mean, just right now. I, I dropped some bars. I'm not scared. <laughs> They're not singing about, oh, look at this. Look at all the amazing things. He's a slingshot guy. Oh, he's the great, he takes care of sheep. He writes cute songs. Notice that as David is going into battle, it's less about David and it's more about God. 
And when you're in a time of trouble, you don't need to be looking at yourself. You need to be looking at, oh, the presence of God is here. Notice number two, not only do we see the presence of God, but we see the promises of God. And this is interesting. In verse, no, excuse me, verse number one, it says, the name of the God of, what's the next word? Jacob. Verse number one says, the name of the God of Jacob, defend thee. Now, this is beautiful because it shows us the promises of God. God does not lie. God always tells the truth. And Jacob here is demonstrated as a person to whom he has kept his promises. In Leviticus chapter 26 and verse 42, the Bible says, Then will I remember my covenant. I made a promise with Jacob. And also my covenant with Isaac and also my covenant with Abraham will I remember and I will remember the land. And you might say, oh, well, Jacob, that's Jacob. Notice how the Bible describes Jacob. In Isaiah chapter 41 and verse 14, the Bible says, fear not, thou worm, Jacob. Jacob wasn't a person who deserved to have promises kept to him. Jacob's very name meant deceiver, supplanter liar. That's what Jacob was. Jacob at one time lied to his blind dad. His blind dad said, hey, I need some help doing this stuff. And Jacob comes in and he lies to his blind dad and steals from his brother. Jacob was a mess. Jacob at one time, he got married and the day after he got married, he married another woman. And the other woman that he married was his wife's sister. You want to talk about dysfunctional that's Jacob. Jacob, on one night, God wanted to come and have a meeting with him, and he fights with him all night long. He has a wrestling match with him, and it almost like a little kid coming at their dad, it, you almost get the impression like, I'm going to get you, I'm going to get you, and the Lord just kind of holding Jacob's head and said, okay, fine, done, boom, and he puts a he puts a, a pain inside of his leg so that the rest of his life, Jacob walks around like he was in a mud pit on Thursday. And that pain goes throughout his entire life. And on that night, Jacob is humiliated before God. And as he's humiliated before God, God says, are you done fighting with me? Mm-hmm. I'm no longer going to call you Jacob. I'm going to call you Israel. And your name shall no longer be the deceiver, manipulator, supplanter. Your name from this point forward is going to be the Prince of God. And on verse number two, excuse me, verse number one, David and the congregation hearken back to the fact that he's the God of Jacob. Jacob, the guy who messed up a lot. Jacob, the guy who um, married another woman, his wife's sister, the day after he messed up, lied to his dad. That was Jacob, the guy full of problems God was willing to work with because God is a God who keeps his promises. I'm so thankful God's a God who keeps his promises. He'll keep his promises to you. If he would keep his promises to Jacob, he'll keep his promises to you. Was David always worthy? No. David messed up many times, didn't he? We could take moments and say, tell me about one of David's problems. And for the next five minutes, we could say, oh, David had this problem, David had this problem, David had this problem. So the accolades were not based upon David's character. It was based upon the promises of God towards him. Then we see the power of God in verse number two. This is so cool. 
Send help from the sanctuary. That word sanctuary is saying send help from heaven. We can't defeat these tens of thousands of people on our own. Look at us. We don't have chariots. We don't have horses. The reason they don't have chariots and horses is God had commanded David, you don't multiply to yourself chariots and horses. No king of Israel should multiply chariots and horses unto themselves. And so, David, you shouldn't either. And so, they're going out as footmen into battle. So, Lord, can you send help out of the sanctuary? And can you strengthen us out of Zion? God is a God which has done uh, marvelous and unsearchable things without number. So, God, we need you to do that. Could you help from heaven? And then they denote the proximity of God. God, look over here. You're in Zion. Zion is the um, family term for Jerusalem. Like a person might talk about Vegas, uh, Vegas is my hometown. There would be words that I would say about Vegas that somebody who's not from here might say. Like, you ever heard somebody talk about our state and say the word Nevada? Okay, you're not winning the presidential primary here, bucko. Because we don't live in Nevada, we live in Nevada. We're Nevadans. Zion was the term of endearment for people that were from Jerusalem. Oh, Zion. And that's where God literally dwelt. The tabernacle of God, the, the Holy of Holies, the Ark of the Covenant was located there in Zion. And so your presence is here because we know your name. Your promises are here because we rely upon your character, not our own. The power of God is here. We need it from heaven. Your proximity is available because you're right here. You're right next to, um, you are right next to us. Look, there's, there's the sacrifices that were made to you. And then this is beautiful. The Bible tells us this. And um, remember all thy offerings and accept thy burnt sacrifices. You have given presents to God. There was a time when you gave presents to God. There was a time you trusted God so much, you gave an offering. The word offering here is not a blood sacrifice. For those of you who have studied the Old Testament, you will know that oftentimes there were sheep, there were bulls that were offered in sacrifice to God. The word offering is not that. The word offering is, man, the Lord's just doing something good for me today. Let me put in a little extra into the offering today. It's a great season. It's Christmas time. Let's, let's send money to this nonprofit or to this charity or to this missionary. Why? Just because God's been good to me. Oh, look at that little girl up there. Let's buy her a baby doll. Oh, you know, you've done something. I just want to do this because. You ever gotten a just because card? Aren't those the best? You get a card and you open it up and it says thank you and there's a, there's a free coffee gift card inside of there. And you're like, oh, they didn't have to do it. There was no reason. It was just, oh, that was sweet. Thank you for doing that. That's what the word offerings were. And David, on multiple occasions, had walked with God in such a manner to where he just freely gave of himself. You know, here, give this to the Lord. Oh, oh, look at this. Oh, let's give this to the Lord. He gave offerings and sacrifices. Oh, he fulfilled his obligations. He did what the word of God had commanded. But there was a love in giving to the Lord. Now notice the verse three verses. The Lord will hear thee 
in the day of trouble? The name of the God of Jacob defend thee, send thee help from the sanctuary, and strengthen thee out of Zion. Remember all thy offerings and accept thy burnt sacrifices. Look at all the things that you have done for God and look at all the things that God has done for you. You're about to go to battle. You're about to get on a horse. You're about to fight tens of thousands raging heathens. You're about to do this and the only thing you've got is God. And then he uses this word selah. Do you see it there at the end of the verse, verse 3? He says selah. The word selah means think about it. Can you imagine that congregation as David's about ready to go to battle and they're singing and they're chanting back and forth and then they get to this word. Can we say it all together at the count of three? One, two, three. Selah. And there's a quietness across the congregation because they're thinking, God is powerful. God's presence has been here so many times in the past. And we trust God in the good times, and He's even taken care of us in the bad times. Think about that. Isn't that beautiful? Think about that. Selah. I love that you're in church today. One of the reasons you're in church today, as a demonstration, you might not even know it, but one of the things that's happening to you at church today is you're coming to church, and right now you're not worrying about submarines, Russian coups. You're not worrying about uh, what's happening with our national security. Right now, for the last 45 minutes, there has just been an intentional focus on, look at who God is. Remember what God has done. And it's okay if you've brought that weight. Man, we've got this financial issue. We've got this medical thing that we're dealing with. We've got this family issue. We've got this professional thing that we're going through. You're supposed to bring all of those things in. And when you bring all of those things in, we take time to say, okay, in the time of trouble that we are in, look at all of these things. Think about who God is. Just think about God. Have a few uh, moments of selah. And then notice the purposes. This is beautiful. In verse 4, the Bible says, May he grant thee according to thine own heart and fulfill thy counsel, and we will rejoice in thy salvation, and in the name of God we will set up our banners, and the Lord fulfill all thy petitions. You've given presents to the Lord, and now today you want to go out and fight the heathen. May God bless you as you go. Because what you're doing is exactly what God wants you to do. So may God bless you as you go. May God bless you as you go. May you have victory. And then look at verse number five. Um, we will rejoice in thy salvation. This is what they're literally saying here. We are going to rejoice. While you're gone, we are going to start preparations for the party. What party? There's going to be a celebration party. What do you mean there's going to be a celebration party? Well, you're going to war, aren't you? Yes, I'm going to war. And you're going with God, aren't you? Yeah, I'm going with God. Well, then you're going to win. Yeah, I'm going to win. So we're going to party. Notice what he says. We will rejoice. We're going to have a party while you're out fighting. We're going to be sitting back here and we're going to be rejoicing in thy salvation. And then in the name of our God, we will set up our banners. 
What are the banners? When you come back, there's going to be signs saying, yeah, you did it. You did it. Yeah, you did it. There's going to be flags that are waving. People are going to be shooting streamers. There'll be ticker tapes. If there were, um, if there were fireworks invented, we'd be shooting off fireworks. We're going to plan on a great big barbecue this Saturday when you come back. And with that confidence and with that victory, we're going to have a parade. It's going to be a celebration like Jerusalem has never seen before. Why? Because we believe, verse number five, we will rejoice in thy salvation. We're going to rejoice while you're gone. We're going to be making the baklava. And the hummus will be there. And the burgers, no bacon. Because we're Jewish. <laughs> and we will set up our petitions and our, we will set up our banners. We're going to get the place ready for a celebration unlike you've ever seen before. And the Lord will fulfill all thy petitions. Verse number six, the person speaking changes. The congregation comes down and can you feel the momentum as God's going to do this, God's going to do this, oh God's going to do this, and the momentum shifts and it comes to a crescendo and in verse number six, David speaks. And he says, he demonstrates personal appreciation. He has a godly confidence. Look at what he says in verse six. Now, now I know that the Lord saveth his anointed. There's such a beauty of hearing the praise of God's people. The praise of God's people builds a godly confidence. Oh, God, look at what God's done. Look at what God will do. Has God been faithful in the past? Church, has God been faithful in the past? Church, has God been faithful in the past? Will he be faithful in the future? Can I trust him right now? So now know I that the Lord saveth his anointed. He will hear him from his holy heaven and with the saving strength of his right hand. So David, after hearing the songs of his people, can you see him get on his horse and say, I know we can do this. I know that God will save. And I know that we're going to have victory. Guys, are you ready? Can you see the guys? Yeah! Hurrah! Huzzah! They're all like, yes, we can do it. The people know God can do it. David now knows God can do it. And this is what's beautiful. They have an expected victory. Look at what the Bible says in verse number six. The Bible says, and he will hear from his holy heaven. God will hear from his holy heaven and with the saving strength of his right hand. This is really cool. That word strength right there, in Psalm chapter 20 and verse number 6 is a unique word. It's in the plural form in the Hebrew. Are you ready to learn some Hebrew? The word is geburah. The word geburah is plural form denoting multiple sources. So we know that God can save with his saving strength. What is God's saving strength? Well, God uses saving strength. Sometimes he uses a boat to save. And then sometimes he uses a sling to save. And sometimes he takes people just walking around a wall for seven days and he knocks down the walls 
and he saves. See, sometimes God sends lightning balls, and sometimes he sends hail. Sometimes he sends frogs. Hello, Pharaoh, you remember that one? And sometimes he allows red seas. See, God is not limited to this very narrow understanding of how victory will come. If God wants to use lice or frogs or boats or red seas, God can use just about anything. He can use even a baby in a manger to save the world. What an amazing God. So God, through his saving strengths of his right hand, how are you going to defeat the chariots? I don't know. How are you going to defeat the horses? I don't know. I just go and I'm going to do what God tells me to do. Because I remember there was a day when there was a giant, nine and a half foot tall dude. And I didn't know how I was going to defeat him. God gave me a few rocks, knocked him out. And if God can do that today, these people got nothing on me. So the Bible tells us that he goes forward and notice the prolific accomplishment in verse number seven. He says this, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. They are brought down and fallen, but we are risen and stand upright. So save, Lord, let the king hear us when we call. We can trust in God. Church, we can trust in God. Do you believe it? We can trust in God. You can trust in God, not some fake anonymous God. You know Jesus Christ. How do we know Jesus Christ? Because he died, but he's still alive. He rose from the dead. And so if he can do that, God can do anything. Well, we've got this financial issue. Go to God. Well, we've got this marital issue. Go to God. We've got this problem with our children. Go to God. Because you can trust in God, and God has never disappointed, and God will never fail. And when our focus and our attention is aligned to where we understand who God is, and we're ready to walk in his power because we understand his presence, and we're yielding our power to his, oh, there ain't nothing God can't do. Notice this, there's going to be disappointment in the enemy. The Bible says, some trust in chariots. Can you see those folks coming against David and they look around and they, how many chariots you got? We got 40 chariots. A chariot was the most um, virile, potent battlement you could have. It was an F-22. It was a Patriot missile. It was the aircraft carrier of the day. It was the tank. It was the armored vehicles. It was the strongest thing. One person on a chariot could wipe out dozens, scores, perhaps even hundreds of soldiers with the the rampaging of the chariot wheels and the fighting of that great strong chariot. You could wipe out hundreds of foes with one chariot. And can you see those people coming against David? How many chariots you got with 30 chariots? How many you got? We got 50 chariots. And they raise up an army of chariots, not only chariots, but they have horsemen. They put thousands of people on top of a horse and the Jewish people, God's people go out to meet them with swords and with spears, but no horses and no chariots. And the Bible says in verse number seven, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. The Bible records what happens in the battle in 2 Samuel chapter 10, verse 17. And when it was told David what was going on with Joab and the fight coming against him, he gathered all Israel together. That's what we're reading in Psalm chapter 20, the gathering of the people in Israel. And they passed over Jordan and they came to Helam. And the Syrians set themselves in array against David and they fought with him. And the Syrians fled, uh-oh, the Syrians fled before Israel, and David slew of the men 700 chariots. 
of the Syrians and 40,000 horsemen. He smote Shobach, the captain of their host, their great general, their great leader. He died there. And when all the kings that were servants to Hadarazar saw that they were smitten before Israel, they turned tail and run, and they made peace with Israel, and they served them. So the Syrians feared to help the children of Ammon anymore. Why? Because some trust in chariots and some trust in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. And so the question could be asked to David, what are you doing this weekend? Well, I've got this big battle that I've got to face all weekend long. Okay, but God's going to give you the victory. How do you know? Because I've seen him work in the past, and I know that he's with me now, and I just believe that God's going to do something in the future. So let's pencil something in. Why? Because we can trust in God. And David could trust in God. And Moses can trust in God, and Kyle can trust in God, and Chris can trust in God, and Josh can trust in God, and Ed can trust in God. Because if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, the same God of David is the same God of Ed. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that wonderful? Hear this psalm. This wonderful psalm teaches us that there are public accolades. Oh, and they encourage us to trust and know the Lord. It gives David a personal appreciation for who God is and allows him to see prolific accomplishments, not for his own glory, but for the glory and advancement of God's kingdom. And that same God is not dead. He's not old. He's not finished. He still wants to work in your life. Will you allow him? Father, I thank you for your word and the truth that's found in it. May we use it for your glory and apply it to our lives. And I ask this in your name. We hope that message was an encouragement to your heart. Now for weekly updates and for information about Liberty Baptist Church, be sure to follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook at LBC of Las Vegas. Well, that's it for today. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, God bless.